Welcome into First Draft. We're the only show that thinks that the Super Bowl was not played yesterday, but actually begins 73 days from right now in Detroit, Michigan, and takes place for the three days following that. I'm Field Gates, and the man who is the NFL Draft, Mel Kuyper, as always, joins me. Mel, you can agree, 73 days is when the real action takes place. It does. The draft began in late August at week zero, Field, and we started watching these kids really two years ago because you want to have yeah, the year prior to when they are draft eligible, you never know who's going to come out early. So you really have two full years. You go back even into the early part of their careers. Some even look at the high school tape of kids. So it's a body of work that's important. And today we're going to highlight some of those under the underrated sleeper type guys that may drop a little further in the draft and maybe their, their press clippings indicate or whatever. We see something we like in these guys and maybe others don't. But this is about bargains. This is about steals. This is about guys that will go at the point in the draft where we think it's a, a really a nice pick for that particular team. Yeah, not too much talk about guys that go in the first round today. Not too many players that maybe were named All-Americans this past season or Heisman Trophy candidates, <laughs> things of that nature. A reminder, by the way, for those of you that enjoy First Draft, thanks for watching us here on TV every Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. You can also check us out wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, live on YouTube on Mondays, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, plus Thursdays, a YouTube version as well. As well available for those that are interested in watching it in full video form. We're not going to wait any longer, though. We're going to dive into some of the most underrated players in the NFL draft and some players that we can call sleepers. And Mel, we are going to begin with wide receivers and running backs, and we'll start specifically with the pass catchers. Who has a wide receiver that you think deserves some more acclaim? I like guys with length, catch radius, that guys can go get the ball when you think they're covered. They're really not feeling. Marcus Rosamy Jack Saint from Georgia as a kid. You know, 6'1", about 205 in that area, but the length, the arm length is very important because he gets that edge over those cornerbacks when there's a contested situation. I like guys who have improved. Remember, he came out of St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas High School in Florida, right? He had that bad ankle injury against Florida back in 2020. 2022, he averages 11.6 a catch. He upgrades that and improves that to 15, 7, 16 yards to catch this past year with four touchdowns. The big playability, the catches he made in traffic. Go back to games against South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee. He was outstanding. He's got to say length, hands, catch radius, the tough catches in traffic across the middle field is what really caught my eye consistency as well. I think this is a guy's going to keep getting better and better. We saw that improvement. I liked what I saw going from 2020, 2023 and going up in terms of the average per catch, being a guy who would go into that traffic and make those catches that other guys kind of shy away from. Uh, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint did not. And I think the best football is yet to come. And I think when you're 6'1", you're 205, and you have those long arms and that wingspan, that length, I think that's going to be critical against cornerbacks in the National Football League. So I I think Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, goes to the point in the draft field that uh, I think he's going to be really interesting. If it's early day three, uh, late day two in that area, I like this kid a lot. Yeah, and Mel, I don't think this was a case in the case of Rosemey, Jack Saint, of a guy not putting it all together in college because the truth about playing at Georgia is twofold. One, you got to be patient, right? Just a couple of years ago, George Pickens, a mm -hmm. second-round wide receiver, and even during the past couple of years, obviously Brock Bowers, the best tight end in the country, one of the best players amongst all pass catchers in the country. Lad McConkey, obviously a big factor in that offense as well. And don't forget, 
The top two Georgia running backs this season, Mel, combined for 27 rushing scores. So there wasn't going to be nearly as much passing game production in this offense because so often Georgia was just running the football and beating you with defense, probably contributed to that lower total catch number uh, for Rosemey Jack Saint compared to what you might expect. You began your explanation, Mel, by saying that you like guys with length. So maybe I should rethink my pick here for a wide receiver. And by the way, we could probably name 15 wide receivers that deserve some more attention. But Malik Washington, who finished his college career at Mm -hmm. Virginia after four seasons down in Northwestern, is the opposite in terms of physical traits as Rosemey Jack Saint. He's 5'9", maybe. The guy's maybe 195, 200 pounds on a good day. And 5'9", by the way, Mel, might be a generous description of it. But what I will say is that when you're looking at the archetype of slot receivers, there are two things that I think often teams will say are deterrents in terms of overall value for those players. One is touchdown production, right? They're not as likely to be big red zone factors. Two is how many outside of their frame catches are these players consistently making? And while the production for four seasons at Northwestern, specifically in the touchdown category, was pretty modest, Malik Washington crushed it this past year with nine receiving touchdowns at Virginia, consistently making catches outside of his frame. The kind of guy that was terrific after the catch as well, made an immediate impact for a Virginia offense. And you know, this was not a very good team this past season down there in Charlottesville. But Malik Washington, the kind of player who a change of scenery to a non-powerhouse program, might have catapulted his draft value by a couple of rounds. I think it's a great choice on your part. I went with Rosemary Jack Saint because, as you say, the length. You get a guy who's that slot guy that's so critical. You think about Tom Brady over the years, a slot guy so important to Tom Brady and leading him to so many victories and Super Bowl wins. And guys like this have done it at two schools as well. doesn't matter where they were. They were super highly regarded, highly respected by the coaching staff. And that darter, that guy that gets the ball, and boy, he is explosive. He gets the ball and he's gone. And I think you can also talk about the ability to make difficult catches look routine he was able to do that as well the productivity activity was off the chart so that to me and the consistency week to week with two different programs was very impressive so if you can get this kid on day three of the draft I think it's a plug and play guy you're gonna get production out of this kid he's gonna be a guy and, and that slot's gonna be a guy's gonna be your quarterback's best friend I think he could be one of the steals of the draft field I'm with you on him yeah I don't think he's quite as explosive as Pop Douglas drafted last year in the sixth round from the Patriots but a little bit of the shades there just in terms of a smaller guy that I Mm -hmm. think can play bigger than his frame Mm -hmm. would suggest, and the production was off the charts. Let's go to running back, Mel, and I'm going to give you a three-pack here because you got three guys (laughs) that you think are sleepers, and we know this is not a top-heavy running back draft class, so this might be the point where teams are best suited in <laughs> investing in these running backs on day three. Yeah, I feel about first-round running backs field. I'm getting my None guy down them. the line. It's Isaiah Pacheco, who's uh, yeah, back-to-back Super Bowl wins for the Kansas State Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh-round draft choice out of Rutgers. And these are the kind of guys, running backs automatically, because most teams have a, you know, basically you talk about two and three running backs that can get it done. There's more than just one guy on each team. So it's not a pressing need for a lot of teams. So running backs slide down. They slip through the cracks. They get into that fourth through seventh round area. Some like Keaton Mitchell at East Carolina, who was super fast and productive, go undrafted. The Baltimore Ravens unfortunately got hurt. That was a key loss for them for late in the season, but he's a guy who was special, and he didn't get drafted. So I think when you look at guys, and I'm going back to the SEC field, I'm going to a kid who played at Tennessee, 
and you talk about guys at that particular program for Josh Heupel. You say, oh, they throw it all over the yard. Have that run to football with Jalen Wright yeah. and then Small as well. But Jalen Wright's kind of my guy field. I like what I saw from him this past year. I like what I saw from him uh, two years ago. But this year he went from six yards a carry up to seven four a carry. He got, went from two catches to 22 receptions. Runs through traffic. He's strong. He's patient. He's slippery. He's got balance. And he's a track guy in high school. He's a sprinter. So he can hit that long gainer. He had a 42-yard run, a 52-yard run, 82 and 75-yard runs this past year against Alabama. They contained him, but he had seven catches field in that game. You talk about production and back-to-back years. He hit some big plays for Tennessee in the run game, and he caught the ball better. He was more of a factor in the passing game. So I like everything about him. In the NFL, you've got to be able to run through contact, you basically make the first defender miss, and if you get into a situation, the balance, the ability to keep the chains moving with that extra yard or two that he showed he could provide. I'm a big fan of Jalen Wright from Tennessee. I think if you can get him in that fifth round area field, you got yourself one heck of a running back. Yeah, he can absolutely fly, as you mentioned at the end, of all those traits that Jalen Wright brings to the table. Worth noting, by the way, Mel, he actually was second in FBS last year in terms of his yards per carry amongst players mm-hmm. only with 100 carries or more. Uh, the only guy with more yards per carry, um, Jaden Daniels from LSU. So just a testament to the explosiveness <laughs> of Jaden Daniels. But this is a sleeper show, and Jaden Daniels is not that. Give me another running back that caught your eye during this process. I like kids who are doing it, too. You mentioned Malik Washington Field did it at two different programs, right? Northwestern and Virginia. Yeah. How about Blake Watson? He did yeah. it at Old Dominion, where he was special, getting a lot of carries. Remember, this is a guy who was a former uh, yeah, a wide receiver at the prep level early on at Old Dominion. He goes to Memphis. He's outstanding. It's certainly at Old Dominion. He had, he had 2,100 yards plus 60 receptions, 24 starts there. Had 106 receptions in high school. This kid was a great kickoff returner as well early in his career. Then he catches that guy out of the football at Memphis. He's the kind of guy you can move around. You can get him on jet sweeps. You can give him, put him in a slot, like we talked about with Malik Washington, where his future lies. In that running back spot over the last couple of years, he put up the big numbers. Blake Watson's an interesting guy, I feel, because I love, if you're talking about a late-round running back, you better be versatile, and you have the hands to make spectacular catches. As I say, a former wide receiver turned running back, kick return skills. All those things add up to me for Blake Watson to be a heck of a possibility in the later rounds of the draft. Yeah, Watson, by the way, was one of the standouts during the Shrine Bowl game week. He was terrific at that event. Other running backs also included Frank Gore Jr., who had himself a heck of a week down there. And I think, Mel, one thing that I keep in mind for third-day running backs is, like, you kind of have to have at least one special trait because sometimes we have seen, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. Isaiah Pacheco, Mel, like his college production – wasn't as eye-popping as his skill set at the NFL level suggests it would have been during his time at Rutgers. But if you kind of have that one Mm -hmm. special trait, it kind of catches my eye. And while Monmouth is not Rutgers, it is also in New Jersey, and I don't think we're going to have too many Monmouth players being mentioned on this show, Mel, so fire away with yet another running back. Yeah, I think you look at Jaden Sherd. You look at kids who will be probably late round picks, maybe go as a priority free agent. We talked about Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. Jaden Sherd out of Monmouth, 5'9", 200 pounder. You talk about explosive field. He had six 200 plus yard games in his career, 14 rushing touchdowns that covered 50 or more yards. Talk about a guy in his career. He has a lot of tread on the tires, 504 carries. Only had two receptions in 2022, 20 this past year. I think 
the determination, the ability to be consistent week in, week out, and also have those special dominant performances. You have to be able to do that when you're at Monmouth, right? Level of competition, a little iffy. You talk about going from that level to the National Football League. You better put up astronomical numbers. You better be somebody who catches your eye. Looks like he's different. Looks like he could have played in the SEC or the Big Ten and been a really good football player there and been productive and equally as effective as he was at Monmouth with the Hawks. So I'm I'm a Jaden Sheridan fan. Love his attitude. Love his approach. He's got a great work ethic field. He's going to put the time in. He's going to be patient. He's going to develop in the NFL. He's the kind of guy I think has in another two or three years down the road you will be hearing something from Jaden Sheridan if he goes to the right team. We could have given you a bunch of other running backs that also fit into this category from the small school department. Dylan Lobby from North uh, New Hampshire, one of the names that comes to mind. He had one of the single most impressive games that I watched this entire season, Mel. He had 12 catches <laughs> for only 295 yards and a touchdown against Central Michigan, which was the Super Bowl for New Hampshire this past year in terms of competition. So a lot of guys that fit into this hidden gem category amongst the running backs. I think this is stating the obvious, but it's worth noting that when you've got a bunch of backs that kind of cluster together on day three, Indianapolis, the combine in just two and a half weeks from right now will be absolutely essential in terms of how these guys are going to eventually stack on boards when we get to the NFL draft just two and a half months away. All right, so we've given you some running backs. We've given you a couple of wide receivers. But as we know, as we saw last night during the Super Bowl, if you can't protect your star quarterback, it doesn't matter how good your wide receivers are on the perimeter, just ask the 49ers because when it was time to protect Proc Purdy at the absolute apex of moments, they were not able to do a satisfactory enough job. We're going to talk offensive tackles and offensive guards coming up next here on First Draft. All right, back here on First Draft, Field Yates and Mel Kuyper Jr. diving into the sleepers that you need to know for the 2024 NFL Draft. And Mel, I'll start here and you can take it away with uh, your thoughts on my first pick and then offer up your own as well. But I was thinking about the offensive tackle class, and I think what's clear is that it's going to be a very deep one at the very top, right? We could have as many as seven or eight guys taken in the first round, but there's some starter value available a couple of rounds down the board. And if I'm looking for a player who maybe isn't this peak premium athlete, it's got to be a guy who's experienced, who's got length, and who's got some versatility. How about Javon Foster from Missouri, who started his career with the Tigers as a right tackle, flipped over to the last left side, and all, all he's done since then, Mel, 36 consecutive starts at left tackle for Missouri, down in Mobile, Alabama, and these measurements aren't likely to change. He had some of the longest arms amongst all the offensive tackles. He was steady Eddie during the one-on-one drills. That length shows up consistently on tape as well. He is a powerful dude. If there was one criticism that I thought maybe kind of held Foster back on occasion, it was he's a bit of a catcher when guys get into him. He doesn't quite have that counterpunch once players have engaged him and kind of gotten underneath his pads, but played at a high level, saw great competition consistently, was a stalwart for Missouri, has the length. Maybe the feet quickness is not quite at the same level as other guys who will go in the first 30 or so picks. But if you told me, 
that Javon Foster ends up being a six, seven, eight-year starter in the NFL, I would not be surprised at all. Field, I've had my top 10, you know, offensive tackles at every position. It's a top 10 all year. It starts in August. It rolls every Friday, updated on ESPN.com, along with the top 25 big board. Top 10 offensive tackles have included Javon Foster on several weeks there. He's been at number 10. You say, okay, why are you excited? He's at 10. Well, he's maybe 11, 12 overall right now. But how many are going to go in the first round, Field? We think maybe eight maybe offensive eight. Yeah. tackles go in the first round. Javon Foster could end up being a second, third round type of draft choice, you know, come late April. So this is a kid, you know, has that ability. As you said, if an offensive line coach gets with a kid with that kind of talent and played, as you said, against elite competition, had some real battles in practice as well. There's a kid named Darius Robinson on that Missouri Tiger yep. football team that you could move around uh, as well and uh, presents great versatility. Could be a first-round pick. But Foster, to me, is a guy, because of the offensive tackle, that are going to go high, going to get pushed up into that first round, early second round. Foster's not going to have to wait much longer than that to come off the board. All right, give me one of yours then because uh, we have multiple offensive linemen. If you're looking to do what the Chiefs have done with Patrick Mahomes, protect him consistently. Who's the name that comes to mind for you? You know what I like, Field, in this day and age of college football? Loyalty. Yeah. Staying with a program, right? Yeah. South Dakota State Jackrabbits, right? Heck of a football team. You got four guys going to be in the NFL off this team, or maybe even more than that. Bottom line is Mason McCormick along the offensive line. An offensive guard, had a ton of starts, a four-year starter, a guy who was a great leader. He's like an extension of your offensive line coach, Field. You watch this kid play, he's entertained to watch because he will try to beat you up. He's a guy... What do offensive line coaches that you've talked to over the years feel say they want in an offensive lineman? Number one, you got to be smart, right? Yep. He is. You got to be tough. You got to have that mean streak. This kid does. He's a finisher. He's a guy shot putting discus in high school, drives that defensive tackle off the ball, does well in space, good contact rate when pulling and getting to that second level. Talk about a guy who can get it done. That guard could even move inside and play that center. Could be an anchor. So he's got that dual versatility, potentially moving forward into the National Football League. A guard where he had a ton of starts as a four-year starter, which is rare. It's a kid at South Dakota State. They, yeah, he could have moved on. Could have played another top-level program. Big Ten, SEC, Big 12. Who knows, right? State at South Dakota State did a whale of a job. A team leader is going to be a guy coming into the NFL with all that experience, all that knowledge, and the ability to be a center guard at Worst field, he's an interior swing man. Then you get an injury, he can plug him in there. We saw it with the Chiefs plugging a guy in there, Allegretti, right? Sure. When Tooney got hurt. Saw how that worked out against Baltimore and the uh, San Francisco 49ers. So when you get a kid who has that versatility inside along the interior, like Mason McCormick has shown with all that experience, uh, I'll take this kid on day three. Last thing I'll say here as well, Mason McCormick, Mel, is that when you go to the Shrine Bowl, one of the values of these all-star games for guys like Mason McCormick to play at a lower level is proving that your strength is not the strength that only shows up against lesser competition, right? He goes to the Shrine Bowl, and I get it. The Shrine Bowl has mm-hmm. fewer, you know, top 100 picks than we see down there at the Senior Bowl. But he was pushing guys around left and right. The power that Mason McCormick has <laughs> travels to the NFL level, and the easiest way to get overwhelmed when you're coming from those lower levels at the NFL level is just getting pushed around. That's not going to be the case for Mason McCormick. One more offensive tackle, Mel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. And he's had a little bit of an interesting route to his current school. That's Isaiah Adams, offensive tackle from Illinois. And what I like about Mm -hmm. Isaiah Adams is the perseverance here. Kid born in Canada, ended up in a community college to begin his college career. He ends up transferring to Illinois, Mel. And as you know, he began this past season at left guard for the Illini. After two games, he ends up kicking out to right tackle. So we've already established the positional versatility. His very first game as a right tackle this season was against Penn State. And he played against those two terrific pass rushers, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. And he looked dreadful now. It was probably the worst game he had all season. And I thought to myself, how much of a red flag should seeing that great pass rushing duo be on a player like Isaiah Adams' resume? And what I realized was that When you're transitioning from one position to the next, you're bound to have some growing pains, right? There's a learning curve to it. He got better every week from there on out. Every week from there on out against good competition, obviously, in the Big Ten, Isaiah Adams looked much more comfortable and reinforced to me that that week against Penn State was much more of an outlier than it was an indication of how it's going to look at the NFL level. Shows up at the Senior Bowl in Mobile and continue with that steady play Maybe he's a right tackle at the NFL level. Maybe he kicks back inside of that left guard position at the NFL level. But regardless, you may not have a day one starter, Mel, but you have a guy that from day one probably gives you the opportunity to play a backup role at either guard spot and maybe even right tackle too. Yeah, I think you got two different ways to attack day three field. You can get the finished products who are just ready to go in and have that experience as a Mason McCormick does. Then you talk about guys who have a chance to develop and can keep getting better and better and have versus. I think the one common denominator here that we're looking at on day three I look at is versatility. Yep. And I think that's something that's very important. I think we were hitting that with a lot of these players that can do both. And I like to talk about the running backs, being able to catch the ball, improving in that area. An offensive lineman who can play tackle guard, guard center is very important. So to me, I think that's the, when you get into day three, it's like I say, it's two schools of thought. You don't necessarily want the underachiever all the time or the overachiever, but there's two thoughts. You take the overachiever, you got a guy who's ready. He's going to give you everything he has, right? He's coached up. He's, he's, he's like, well, he's maximized in college. He's not going to get any better. Well, sometimes that's good enough. Then you get the underachiever, but sometimes they fall off and they never develop. But sometimes you can hit on a guy yeah. who is coached and all of a sudden motivated and, and starts developing. So I think day three is fascinating for that reason. You can look at one way or the other way. Either way, day three is fun for that reason. Yeah, a couple other guys have to fit that mold that you're talking about, like, you know, steady, reliable, you know what you're going to get. Like Roger Rosengarten, the other offensive tackle from Washington, obviously had a tough national championship game. That Michigan front is no joke, but he reminded us throughout the year and then again down there in Mobile that while 
not a first-round guy. He's going to have a chance to stick around for a while in this league because of all the experience he has, all the quality reps that he showed. I get it. The biggest stage was perhaps a little bit too much of a bright lights for him in that specific moment. But we're talking about guys, Mel, that could go in the fourth or fifth round. These guys might be career backups, and they still might be justifiable selections in those rounds because, as we know, as we were reminded all the time, and usually in not such a subtle manner, you need to go seven or eight deep along your offensive line in order to be a respectable team come the playoff time. All right, we've given you some guys that are going to protect the wide receiver, uh, protect the quarterbacks. We've given you some guys that are going to help them, whether it's running backs or wide receivers. Coming up next, we talk defense. There has not been nearly enough defense talk in this draft. <laughs> we attack the defensive line and some defensive tackles that you must know when things continue here on First Draft. All right, Mel, it's time for us to get down and dirty with some defensive linemen. As we return here on First Draft, he is Mel Kuyper Jr. on Field Yates. And we're talking sleepers for the 2024 NFL Draft. And Mel, I don't like when I arrive too late on a player because it makes you feel like you have been missing out for way too long. I arrived too late on Dwayne Carter Jr., the defensive tackle from Duke. He's got great pedigree. His father played at Ohio State. I believe he actually was teammates with Kirk Herbstreit back in the day in the early 90s. But Dwayne Carter is the first three-time, as a matter of fact, the only three-time team captain in Duke history. This guy has experience lining up over the nose. He has experience lining up all the way out outside of the tackles. He can play basically any spot along the defensive line. And as you know, Mel, when you're playing at Duke, while that program certainly has had a little bit of a rise over the past handful of years, Mike Elko obviously did a very good job there uh, during his tenure as the head coach before accepting the Texas A&M job. It's not like Dwayne Carter is going to play with a bunch of other guys on that defensive front that you expect to be drafted, maybe at all, but certainly not in the first few rounds. But Dwayne Carter was not bothered by all the attention that he was given. Go back and watch a Notre Dame game. They couldn't block him. Notre Dame has got, of course, Two offensive tackles are going to be drafted, and maybe one in Joe Walt that could be a top-five pick. Dwayne Carter reminds me what we're seeing more and more at the highest levels from great teams is guys who might be defensive tackle by alignment, or excuse me, by, by position, but by alignment, they'll play anywhere, right? I mean, guys like Chris Jones, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to compare any current prospect in this year's draft to Chris Jones, but <laughs> the beauty of what has made Chris Jones such an unbelievable player, Mel, is that he might kick out and line up over your offensive tackle on one play and then dominate your center on the next play. Dwayne Carter also might have as good of character as there is in the entire draft class this year. Sounds like this guy could be running the country if he wasn't playing football. I am in on Dwayne Carter. Yeah, defensive tackle group did not materialize like we had hoped, and that's allowed opportunities for guys like Dwayne Carter to get into that mix, to be one of those top 10 defensive tackles, to be a guy who could push up the board a little higher than they Maybe you thought back in August field. So I think you're right. The, the Duke, obviously, you're talking about guys on both sides of the ball have gone in the NFL and been nice players. We see Graham Barton this year, the offensive line with versatility. They really play anywhere along the offensive line in the National Football League. Could be a second-round pick, maybe even a first-round draft choice. At worst, a guy goes on round two of the draft for Graham Barton. They have other guys as well. He was helped out R.J. Oban coming off the edge as well for Duke. But certainly, uh, Dwayne Carter, you get into day three. Uh, this guy has a chance to make your football team and be a all right, let's talk more defensive tackles. And by the way, I might be crazy, but if, if, I, if I saw a team take a Dwayne Carter in the third round, 
I would applaud that move. So we shall see. Obviously, there's a lot long ways to go between now uh, and April 25th. But let's dive into a Clemson defensive tackle, Mel, because there are a couple that should hear their name called in late April. Yeah, here's a kid with first-round talent, I believe, Field. Yeah. That production, you talked about four sacks two years ago, five sacks this year, some games a little quiet when you thought could be a little more disruptive. But when he was on and he hustles and he's got talent and he's a late developer, Field is Rook. A row, 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 okay, out of Clemson. Let's go to the Clemson Tigers. Say, how is he a sleeper? Well, he's an underrated guy from the same, but what he could be when he's coached up and he gets more experience. Your family moved from Nigeria to the United States when he was nine field. He's in the prep ranks at Michigan playing basketball, right? Yep. He goes, yeah, here's a guy, doesn't even play football until his junior year in high school, right? You know, this is a kid who comes in to Clemson. And he shows signs, shows flashes of brilliance at times. He's quick, he's explosive, he hustles. I mean, he can shoot in there, and boy, he closes and he finishes quickly, getting after that quarterback, getting into that backfield, wreaking havoc. But you don't see it on a consistent enough basis field. That's why he goes, you mentioned third round for Carter. I think a Rovero, third round, maybe fourth round, maybe somebody reaches a little bit because of the talent. He tests. He will test really well. And people will love this kid. He's smart field. Yep. He wants to be great. Maybe they reach a little bit and say, hey, this defensive tackle group isn't what we thought. Maybe they push him into the second round. So let's see. But he's going to be a really interesting kid because I don't think you've seen yet what he can be. And defensive line coaches will say, give me that kid with the smarts and the work ethic and the passion for the game. And he's a didn't play football until his junior year in high school. Are you kidding me? And he showed flashes of being dominant. I'll take him in rounds three or four. And like I say, maybe somebody stretches a bit and takes him in the second round. Yeah, one of the best names in the entire draft, by the way, Rook Orororo. And you mentioned his Michigan roots after being born in Nigeria. He is actually the first player that Clemson has had in like 50 years to receive a scholarship from the state of Michigan. I just sort of thought that Clemson had more national pull. I'm sure they do, but I guess I would have tapped into that uh, Michigan region prior to this. <laughs> Turns out he is a once-in-every-50-year type of prospect for them. And you're right. I mean, the best days are certainly ahead for Rook. And I feel like the power always shows up more than anything else. Right, Mal? And maybe that's because as a guy who hasn't played that much football, he's still learning the nuances and the craft of the game. But when he gets his hands on interior offensive linemen, he can control the point of attack. We don't play in an NFL where too many defensive schemes are calling for players to to, to have multiple gaps. Two-gap schemes are kind of becoming a, not, not a thing of the past entirely, but it's a lot less prevalent than it might have been 15, 18 years ago when teams were running the football a whole lot more. Now with so much 11 personnel and spread offensive sets, you're seeing so much more of single-gap assignments. But for a team that has a bit of an old-school nature to it, Ruka Rororo might be the kind of guy that would fit perfectly into a defense like that. Maybe a Pittsburgh is one of the teams that kind of comes to mind that still has some of that old-school style to them. I'll give you one more defensive tackle, Mel. And this guy's different than the first yeah. two players that we have discussed. Makai Wingo, who began his career at the University of Missouri. He's a Missouri kid. Landing him for that Missouri Tigers program was a big deal. He goes... He plays there his freshman season, and then with the new rules that we live in, in the college football landscape, he's able to transfer, which he does after just one year. He ends up at LSU. He plays two seasons there, and obviously LSU's defense was terrible this past year, Mel, but he was one of the bright spots of this defense. This kid is built like a fire hydrant. He is a low center of gravity defensive tackle, but he is relentless. Seven and a half sacks over the past two seasons for Makai Wingo, Four and a half of them were this past year, Mel. And as I mentioned, he's relentless. 
He's tough. He gets underneath opposing offensive guards. He has the ability to collapse some pockets. And with these defensive tackles, Mel, the sack production is great. We love it when these guys can generate six, seven, eight, nine sacks in a year as a defensive tackle. But so often what you're looking for is not just the total number of sacks, Mel, but the total number of reps in which they are totally bursting the bubble of the pocket. And I felt like Makai Wingo was one of the more annoying defensive tackles for opposing offensive linemen to block. Because even if he's not getting a sack, he's totally compromising the way that your quarterback is able to navigate the pocket. And more often than not, it's resulting in that quarterback either breaking the pocket or being sacked. I don't know exactly the range here from Makai Wingo. Maybe it's an early third round pick, maybe a little bit later because of the fact that he is not in terms of stature on the same level as the two guys that we talked about before this. But Makai Wingo's got a future in the NFL and it's very bright. Makes his presence felt field. I remember a game, I don't remember when it was early in the year, and my good friend Chris Fowler, right? And Herbie, another good friend, yeah, they're doing a game and it's talking about, you know, Makai Wingo and you have Kuiper's board. And I think I had him like sixth or seventh defensive tackle at the time. And I know Chris, you know, Fowler, he's a, Mel, I'd move him up. Yeah, a little low, a little low. Might move Wingo up a little bit. You know, guy's making some play. Guy's got some talent, a little bit better than maybe you think. So Makai Wingo is there because he's got the presence. He had the ability to go in and wreak some havoc. And you mentioned Missouri. Look at all the players came out at Missouri program on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple of years that they put on that, that field. So for me, when you look at what he did at LSU, Mason Smith had shown flashes, then the injury, didn't have the production. Makai Wingo as well, banged up at times. Bottom line is when he's 100% and he's out there playing, uh, he, he's a guy. In that backfield, quick, quick out of the blocks field is what I saw with Makai Wingo. Yeah, guy, I, I want players that live behind the line of scrimmage amongst my defensive tackles, Mel, right? Mm -hmm. That seems to me, I know you have to have the guys that can mm -hmm. do the dirty work as well. But I do think those dirty work type of players are a little more affordable at the NFL level and at times a little more findable at the NFL level. A guy who did more than just dirty work last night, but like Mike Pinnell for the Chiefs, who the guy's been like on a bunch of different oh, yeah. rosters in recent years, right? You can find that sort of like big, overwhelming strength type of body. Ultimately, though, you need to find some guys that can play behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I feel like the 49ers did not have nearly enough of that in the Super Bowl last night to make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable. Meanwhile, Brock Purdy was pressured on 40% of his dropbacks in the Super Bowl because of players like Makai Wingo, who can really make their mark behind the line of scrimmage and impacting opposing quarterbacks. We are not done here on First Draft. Mel is still to come. We're talking about players that are either going to disrupt the quarterback because they're pass rushing or because they are playing coverage in the back end. More sleepers on First Draft when we return. All right, we're back here on First Draft. He's Mel Kuyper Jr., which you already know. I am Field Yates. As always, fun to discuss anything pertaining to the 2024 NFL Draft. But Mel, today we are diving in to sleepers, players that maybe aren't getting nearly enough attention. And let's talk about a pass rusher that has caught your eye. It's not a deep edge class, Mel, but there are some good quality players, and you've got one of them. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, 
you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I do. How about that Ellis family? Luther Ellis' dad. You think about 1990s, scouted Luther Ellis coming out. It's a first-round pick of the Detroit Lions. Heck of an NFL career. You think about Cadence with the Atlanta Falcons getting it done. You think about where we are with Jonah Ellis right now. When you watch him play at Utah. What do we talk about, guys, that have a knack feel? Who has the knack? For getting after the quarterback. Jonah Ellis does. He's slippery. He's the kind of guy can beat you with a variety of moves, pass rush moves, getting after the quarterback. He had 16 tackles for loss, 12 sacks. Go to Florida, UCLA, Oregon State. Doesn't matter what game you went to. This kid was in the backfield hustling. Gets coverage sacks. He can beat you initially with his explosives and those pass rush moves that he has. This kid understands what it takes. Been coached, been around football his whole life. Was that Luther Ellis? He has been coached to the max field, and he's a guy put together one whale of a season for the Utes. Love a kid who has that ability, that natural ability to beat you, beat that offensive tackle, and get pressure on the quarterback. You spoke about how important it is in the national football. Can't have enough of those guys. Joan Ellis will be in that rotation in the NFL getting after the quarterback. You know, Mel, I'm actually kind of wondering why we haven't discussed Jonah Ellis more because sometimes when we're talking about pass rushers that are kind of slept on, it might be the type of players that are overachievers, right? Guys who either don't have great production in college, uh, or excuse me, that have great production in college, but are kind of ho-hum athletes that got by maybe, you know, with different sort of skill sets. I feel like Jonah Ellis, though, has the long levers. I mean, you see it consistently. His hand placement and his hand usage overall as a rusher is very good. He can bend the edge uh, opposite offensive tackles and make life difficult by getting to the quarterback quickly. And He's got a fairly nasty arsenal of moves. Like his spin move was one of the more unblockable pass rush maneuvers in the entire Pac-12 this past year. And one of the good things about scouting pass uh, pass rushers from the Pac-12 is that you've got, what, potentially two first-round picks or at least two guys in the first 45 or so picks and Troy Fatanu and also... Uh, also Jordan uh, Jordan Morgan from Arizona that we think are going to be you know potential day one starters in the NFL. You've seen it against higher level competition. Wouldn't surprise me if Jonah Ellis goes to Indianapolis, has a really good week at the Combine, and we could be talking about him in a different light. Is there anything that you saw from him that maybe, maybe feels you like, uh, may, maybe makes you feel like there's some reservations about what his ceiling can become in the NFL? Now, I think in terms of me, he's a rotation all the way field. And I love a hustler and I love a guy who has been around the game. We talk about that at a variety of positions. We always talk about the quarterbacks, right? Yeah. They've been around, there's their dads and their brothers have been around forever and you've been coached. This guy understands how to play the game. You already have a guy who is technically and fundamentally ready to come into the NFL and be a guy who can beat that offensive tackle with a variety of moves. And like I said, that knack that he has, you can't teach, you can't coach. You either have it or you don't feel. Now, you're going to say you have all this ability. Can you develop those skills that he already has shown? So there's a way to master the position to get the most out of your ability. He has that. And he will hustle. He never quits on a play. Coverage stacks are important. Guys have to track you down. We saw guys in the NFL over the years. Hey, how many times are you going to get the initial beat of an offense? These are the best in the world field you're going against, right? So when the things are breaking down, Quarterbacks are moving around. Who's going to run, chase, and close and find that quarterback? Joan Ellis will do that. I say in a rotation in the NFL, you cannot have enough of these guys. And injuries occur all the time. So depth 
having that three to four to five guys that you have in camp in July, August that are in those preseason games that can get after the quarterback. You hope you have it. Most teams don't. Joan Ellis will be one of those guys in that rotation who will have a productive NFL career. Looking forward to seeing where he lands. Wouldn't totally surprise me if it happened somewhere in the second round. We shall see in just a couple of months from right now. Uh, the cornerback class, Mel, we feel like has maybe four or five first-round picks, at least potentially four or five first-round picks. And then it feels like you got kind of this gap, right? Like maybe not as many guys going in the second round, but you could have a run of third and fourth round cornerbacks. And one of the guys that I think needs to be mentioned is Shaw Smith-Wade, cornerback from Washington State, who had a great senior bowl week, but prior to that, had a really good season for Washington State as well. He's kind of just like um, this like really instinctive, smooth operating corner. He's got a high football IQ. Kind of remind like him and Chris Abrams drain from Missouri kind of reminded me in this regard of each other is that like they operated at a higher level in terms of understanding what the offense was trying to do on a play-in and play-out basis. Abrams drain, I attribute some of that to the fact that he was a wide receiver to begin his college career, so he knows a route pattern when he sees one. But Shaw Smith-Way was a guy who was just consistently solid for the Cougars out there in Washington State. You know, as is the case with a lot of the cornerbacks in this class and every class, Mel, you're never going to be, or you're going to be rarely going to be blown away with the interception production. Uh, you know, in the case of Shaw Smith Wade, the only interception production from this past year that really stood out was in the Senior Bowl when he had two interceptions, including the game clinching one, and was I think the name the uh, defensive MVP uh, for that game, Mel. But so often in the college ranks. Quarterbacks just don't bother testing the good corners. Uh, so I, I don't think the the red flag would be uh, nearly as strong for guys at that cornerback spot that don't have a lot of interception production. Good, solid, dependable, probably a third or fourth corner at the NFL level, Mel, which may not necessarily be a starter by definition, but in terms of playtime, could certainly be a 60% or higher percent of the snaps kind of guy for a defense with the way the NFL have, NFL offenses have evolved, Shaw Smith-Wade has my has piqued my interest. Yeah, Washington State has that ability to produce players. Feel. We were watching Brennan Jackson, Ron Stone. You get back at Jaden Hicks. We talked about it at the safety spot. So that's way you'd love to have a little more length. You know, you that long arms. And what's that ability do? It means when you're beaten, you can catch up and you can maybe break that pass up, deflect it away when a guy with a short arms really can't. So that'll push him down just a bit. But no, I think the way he performed on the field in the conference against some pretty good receivers showed and showed that this kid can maybe be a day three guy, can stick on your roster, uh, be that guy that you can get on the field, can make plays, and obviously you're going to have to help out on special teams as well. But for Smith-Wade, I think day three of the draft, we're talking about most of these guys are in that fourth to seventh round area that we talked about. Some can get pushed up a little higher. You mentioned Ororo, what he could do. You talked about guys like Jonah Ellis. Some of these guys could get moved up just a bit. But in the case of Smith-Wade, I think day three of the draft in that fourth through seventh round. Right, we got some time on this show, which is a rarity for us, Mel, here. So we get to start just throwing names against the wall, even if they're not supported by yeah. the video. Is there anybody else that just missed the cut for you that you wanted to mention as a potential underrated or sleeper player? Yeah, we're always talking, Field, about the quarterback that could drop a little bit. And they always say, well, who gets who rises up? The traits. Who has the impressive traits, right? Who has either the great mobility or the big-time arm strength? They can throw the ball 80 yards. But who's a guy that's just played a lot of football? Yep. Who's a guy that's got a ton of snaps, a ton of experience as a starter? Who's won a lot of games? The great record, 21-3 and three as a starter last two years, right? 
Who's a guy that elevates a program? Who's a guy that the coach raves about? Who's a guy that the players say, hey, I respect the heck out of this guy. He plays hurt. He's tough. He's always on everybody. He's always energetic. He brings enthusiasm everywhere he goes. That's Michael Pratt from Tulane. Yeah. He doesn't have the wow arm, doesn't he? He's not going to beat you his legs all the time, but he can, right? Keep the chains moving like Joe Burrow. That was an underrated part of his game. So Michael Pratt can do that. Go back to the USC game against Caleb Williams a couple of years ago in that bowl game, that Cotton Bowl. And you can see that aspect of his game, right? Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy played a lot of football at Iowa State. Brock Purdy was tremendously successful for Matt Campbell at Iowa State. He was in a Super Bowl yesterday, right? You know, Michael Pratt... For Willie Fritz, the heck of a job for the Green Wave, right? And how far down? And I'll ask you, Phil, how far down the board? What round do you project a Michael Pratt going in? I think, like, if I had to guess, like, a, if they were to do a 100 simulations of the 2024 NFL draft mail, I think the average spot is, like, the fourth round for Michael Pratt because he is going to wow during the pre-draft process when he's meeting with these coaches Everything you said has been backed up by anybody that has scouted there. The physical traits are what they are, Mel, but we are seeing teams take this approach of sometimes for a backup quarterback, you're not looking for the guy that on one game could be an A-level talent. The next game could be a C-minus level talent. Maybe you're looking for that steady B every single day, and it feels like the ceiling for Michael Pratt is lower than other players, but the floor is also higher than other players, which is a difficult and long-winded way of saying that maybe he can sneak into the back end of the third round for a team that really felt like that second quarterback spot had been an issue for them. Can I give you a guy who's on the other side of this spectrum, Mel, because you were talking about sometimes you want to fall for the traits. And on the right day, if you watch Joe Milton III, from the University of Tennessee by way of the University of Michigan, by way of major pre-college hype, you can fall in love. He might be the most effortless thrower in not just this draft, but maybe a couple of drafts, Mel. You can also watch him and you can see curious decision-making, like we saw in the Senior Bowl, like we saw too often at times during his collegiate days. A guy who has all this talent and ability and yet really only had one year as a full-time starter. I think Joe Milton's the kind of guy, Mel, who the range of outcomes is pretty wide for him, right? Like if you told me five years from now he is starting because somebody got him to put it all together, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Yeah. If you told me that five years from now we're looking back on what could have been with Joe Milton, I also wouldn't have been surprised because five full college seasons in, we were still kind of waiting for the fully realized version of Joe Milton III. But I tell you what, the traits are special with that kid in terms of some of the raw physical tools, the arm strength, the rushing ability. I mean, that guy is all of six foot five as well. So Joel Milton III, a fascinating player to watch and evaluate. We got final thoughts coming here on First Draft on draft sleepers and underrated players that you need to know with Mel Kuyper Jr. in just a moment. All right, back here on First Draft, closing things out. He is Mel Kuyper Jr. I am Field Yates, and Mel, there are so many names that you could choose from. Do you have a favorite sleeper that we haven't yet covered that you wanted to make sure that you addressed here on First Draft? Now, I'm going to hold off on that field a little bit. I think uh, I'm going to just piggyback what you said about Joe Milton. Joe Milton, late uh, two years ago against South Carolina and Clemson in the bowl game, looked like he could be a guy we're watching maybe in the early rounds. He didn't build on that. The inconsistency was not was what bothered you during the course of the season with Joe Milton, right? Joe Milton is right now more of a thrower than a pitcher field. And I think if he can be developed, we'll see what happens there. But in terms of sleepers, I think Sheridan for me from Monmouth, and I threw him out there 
there today as a running back that you can get late or maybe as a priority free agent makes a lot of sense. And there's a ton of guys, Field, and I know you're going to hold out on a guy. And I, I know you brought this guy. You, you, you emailed me. You said, hey, keep an eye on this guy. It's your guy, Field. This is, you're locked into this guy uh, who's a, a guy that's got a chance maybe, Field, along the defensive line to be a factor late in the draft. You know what? I'm going to squat on that player, and I'm going to reveal the story in greater length. But let me just tell you, America, that I thought I had a guy, maybe one guy, that maybe Mel hadn't studied at least extensively <laughs> during the pre-draft process. This man is like the Schwab, trying to stump the Schwab. I'm telling you, it is not going to work because I thought I had a diamond in the rough. Turns out Mel had already studied all five seasons of his college career, which included a stop at two different schools. And I'm promising you, not a lot of people that are watching this show right now have heard of either of these schools. I'll give you this away is only one hint. He's got a three-part name. We can't wait to discuss him at some point here on First Draft. A reminder, the draft is never over after just one round. That's why we're diving into sleepers and underrated players. He's Mel Kuyper Jr. I'm Field Gates. Thursday show, we will be diving into my Mach 1.0. And if you find yourself compelled to watch the draft special, 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, Mel will be grading my mock draft. I am already nervous about what is going to take place.